It is 11.03 here on 98.1 WQAQ, and that means it is time for Throwback Saturday. Yes, new day, new time, new host. We have a co-host here today. I'm your existing host, your uh, alum returning host, Peter Howarth, and I'm joined now by Ben Upson. Ben, welcome to the show. Peter, good morning. Pleasure to be along with you for the ride this semester. Looking forward to it. Yeah, it was a lot of love long Thursday afternoons. Filling in, I don't know how you do two hours of radio. I, I just... <laughs> It's a lot. It definitely is. You know, you just gotta gotta go do your research, uh, be well prepared, and you just start talking. Really, I guess that's all you gotta do. You know, I had to bring on a pro. I had to bring in a ringer to help help this show out. Oh well, thank you. But we we will be live here on ninety eight point one WQAQ and on WQAQ dot com eleven a.m. on Wednesdays before being released as a podcast Thursday morning. So if you're listening to us on Thursday morning, hello, have a good drive to work. So. We have a lot to talk about, but as the nature of sports is, we are we are privy to the drama and to uh, the the latest that is happening in the sports world. And there's nothing greater than the re-retirement of the star of Ted Two, uh, Tom Brady. Tom officially announcing his second retirement this morning via, I believe, his Instagram was his original source, um, saying that he is for real this time to cut to the chase. Uh, and he's thankful for his friends, family, uh, former teammates, uh, coaches, uh, et cetera. So just first thing off the bat, I, I have a question for you. Um, just throwing this on you. I know a lot is made about how football is a team sport, the ultimate team sport. But we all know that quarterback is arguably the most important uh, position in all of professional sports. It is uh, near impossible to win at any sort of uh, significant level without having at least above-average quarterback play. That being said, is Tom Brady the greatest male athlete of all time? <laughs> oh, we're not going just quarterback. We're going male athlete. No, I mean, I mean, <laughs> I think the quarterback thing has been wrapped up for a little bit. Yeah, it, it definitely has. Um, I, I mean, I certainly would think so. I mean, is there any box that this man hasn't checked off in his career? I mean, you know, a seven-time Super Bowl champion who's been to ten Super Bowls, five-time Super Bowl MVP, three-time MVP in, in the NFL, Offensive player of the year twice, uh, 15 Pro Bowls, which is also ridiculous. I really don't know how there could be an argument for anybody else, Peter, at at this point, because what Tom Brady meant to football was more than what the game could possess. I mean, he is a special athlete, and I think we should all be thankful that we got the chance to, you know, be able to live through this uh, the whole time. I mean, think about it. He got drafted... At least the year that I was born, 2000, I, I think you were Correct. as well. Yep, yep, same here. He's, he's been playing our entire lives since we were born. Um, and you don't really see that often in sports. I mean, I really would have to say that he'd have to be the greatest male athlete. Has to. He does check every box exactly what you were saying. Because at least from my sort of NBA perspective here, I think of whenever you're trying to compare Jordan and LeBron, a lot of the argument is based off Jordan had the peak and he had that 6-0 record in the finals. It's so hard to overcome being undefeated at the, at the greatest, grandest stage. Whereas LeBron has a longevity. He's on, I believe, what, year 20, year 19, year 20 now. And he's about, he's what, what like, you, like you said right before the show started, 89 points away. He had, his, uh, I believe, his first triple-double of the year last night in New York in Madison Square Garden, bright lights. 
And he's going to have the longevity thing. He made more finals than Jordan. I mean, he's lost more, but he's made more. Uh, and yeah, he. I believe he's he's fourth all time in assists now. He passed uh, Mark Jackson last night, so he checks the longevity. Brady, he checks every box. The peak. Had it not been for your New York Giants, he would have had the greatest season ever. The undefeated 2007 Patriots. He would have had the longevity. I believe he has most career touchdowns, uh, career yardage. Certainly, every postseason record there is to have. He's done it on more than one team. They, so you can get rid of the, the naysayers if he was a system quarterback for Belichick. Bit bit overplayed. More of a talk radio segment. Boston talk radio segment. The Brady or Belichick. Who's responsible? He did it when he was old. He did it when he was young. He there There is nothing you can have against him, really. Whereas I think, granted, there's not a lot to say, but you can craft an argument for LeBron, for Jordan. That just can't be said. Now, I, I do think it's hard to compare someone like Brady. Obviously, it's it's impossible to compare. We talk about how hard it is to compare across eras, <laughs> comparing someone like Chris Paul to Jerry West, for example. Bad comparison, by the way. Um, <laughs> but imagine trying to compare like Brady to Jordan or to Muhammad Ali or to Michael Phelps, uh, Babe Ruth, Shohei Otani. Uh, <laughs> Wayne Gretzky. It's an impossible, uh, impossible notion because, like, th- think of like the career of an Olympic swimmer like Phelps. He he competed in 2004 in Athens, 2008 in Beijing, in 2012. He didn't compete in Rio, right? In in 2016. No, he did not. Um, he was done after London, I believe. After London, so that's three Olympic games. That's like a 12 year peak. And it just happens to be that their Super Bowl. I'm oh, sorry. No, go ahead. Yes, Rio. He did compete in Rio in 2016. Yes, he did he ended right. his career with the team gold in the 4x100 uh, medley relay. Okay. That's right. Now that I remember that. All right. So four Olympic games. All right. Well, that, that does change some things here. But it's like a 16-year peak um, or so, which is a lot longer than, than many uh, Olympic swimmers. But it's just hard to compare. It's like if... if they're in the Super Bowl every four years, which I guess for mo- for most players, I think they would take those odds. <laughs> Super Bowl every four years, but yeah, it, it's just super hard to compare. Um, one thing uh, that's super weird. I, I know how it it makes sense to bring up like something like the Pro Bowl. Um, <laughs> yes, Tyler Huntley is going to be in the Pro Bowl this year. Tyler Snoop Huntley. Yeah, it's it's really ridiculous that the NFL is even allowing that to happen. Um, I mean, you know, I understand that. There's guys out there that don't want to play in the Pro Bowl just because, oh, you know, why bother? Or they don't feel like it. I mean, and obviously if you're the two Super Bowl teams, and nobody's going to be there from the Chiefs or the Eagles, of course. That's always what happens. I mean, but it's really turning into a joke, though, uh, Peter. I'd have to admit because, you know, a, a man who had, what, two passing touchdowns on the season and... I don't know if the Ravens did the Ravens even score more than twenty points in any of the games that Huntley played. I, I don't think they did. I, I wouldn't. Uh, if, if we have to think about it, that, that's an indictment in its own. I mean, w- what are we doing? Like the Pro Bowl is meant to showcase like the NFL's greatest talent. It's supposed to be like the All Star games for the other leagues, and it, it just it can't be replicated in football because it's such a heavy contact sport. And what it's turning into now is flag football. That's exactly what it's turning into, and. We're really going to put Tyler Huntley out there? 
Okay, so why don't we give Josh Johnson a vote then for playing in the NFC Championship against the Eagles? You, you might as well. I mean, <laughs> I, I, would you rather see Bailey Zappi in there? I, right? I think he might. <laughs> yeah, so it's just getting to the point now where we really have to reassess what we're doing with the league. I mean, come on. Like, getting Tyler Huntley in there. And that's Josh Allen's replacement, too, of all the things. And all, really? this, all this neglects to mention Derek Carr is also in the Pro Bowl, someone who was benched for uh, 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 Jared Stidham. Yes, yes, that's right. Um, And that situation's just turning into a mess as well. Um, And, you know, it's funny because all the talk was all about, well, what if Brady goes to Vegas or San Francisco in the offseason? Well, now now all that's gone. I mean, now now the Derek Carr situation, you're right. That's going to take on a whole other turn now that Tom Brady has um, decided to retire. Just back to the Pro Bowl thing before we um, wrap up talking about Tom Brady. I I don't know why we ever talk about, like, 15-time Pro Bowl when talking about someone like Brady because, A, the Pro Bowl, as we just detailed, is a very useless thing to base things off of. But beyond that, like, it, it doesn't add up. So Brady, for example, 15-time Pro Bowler across, what, like 23 seasons, roughly. Um, LeBron across, what did you just say, like 19, 20 seasons? Yes, 20. 20 seasons, 18-time All-Star. And also, someone like LeBron, 18-time All-NBA. Incredible. I don't think you're going to see anyone really sniff that. I mean, maybe like Victor Wembanyama is really that kind of alien. But Tom Brady, three-time All-Pro. It's just... It, it's so impossible to, to compare these sorts of things. That's why, like, like um, beyond that, for instance, Steve Nash, two-time MVP in the NBA. He has the same MVPs as a uh, number of MVPs as Kobe Bryant and Shaquille O'Neal combined. That's weird, right? Very strange. I, I think uh, that's why it's hard to compare across sport, why it's impossible to to name a goat of goats. That's why the Mount Rushmore exists. And maybe, who is it that, that didn't like this whole, calling this whole thing a Mount Rushmore? Remember that story a couple months ago? I think I know oh, what Jaylen you're talking Rose. about. Jalen Rose, right? Yes, it was Jalen Rose. I think you're right. I think you're right on that. Um, yeah, I, I know. And like you just said, though, it is hard to compare uh, cross sport for sure. And um, I mean, but the big thing to take away with Brady Peter, he holds um, a total of eight NFL records by himself. Most career QB wins, most career passing attempts, passing completions, passing touchdowns, passing yards, most pass completions in a season, most pass attempts in a season, and believe it or not, tied for the longest touchdown pass, 99 yards. 99 yards. Does does it have any more details about that one? I want to say that one was in, like, Miami in, like, 2011 or something. Monday Night Football, Wes Welker. Um, you could be right you're exactly right. Was it 2011? Yes, 2011 wow. in a 38-24 win against the Dolphins. I, that is incredible memory. I did, I did not know if the year was on the money, but yeah, I, you know, it was September. Like the era. It was yeah, the era. September 2011. Patriots of the Dolphins. Brady to Wes Welker. Wow. Pat and, myself on the back. And the the other one, which I do remember, Eli Manning to Victor Cruz in the Giants Jets game that same season. Oh, is that you did the salsa, right? Yes, that was. I it. mean, that was his thing, but yeah, I, yeah. I, yeah, I remember that very, very. Those are the very two most recent um, occurrences. 
in the uh, in the NFL. So, hmm. yeah, but yeah, those are the big statistics I think to take away with Brady. And um, I mean, we can we can clearly tell from the video too to make it clear for everyone out there that that this is it. I mean, Brady was getting emotional toward the end of the video and he very, was recording very. himself. I, I mean, there's just no way that the guy comes back. It, it's over. Like this was it. Um, and I think just the way that the season unfolded with Tampa Bay, I mean, hey, at least he can say he made it back to the playoffs as mm. an 8-9 team. Yeah. The first losing season of his entire career. And, well, thanks for the memories, Tom. Even though even though we got you twice, thanks for the memories. Congrats. Going to hold that one over our heads forever. <laughs> yes. Here's just something interesting I found. I, I don't want to turn this whole show into Brady. Uh, this one from Bill Simmons noted, Boston sports fan. He uh this quote, my take, if Brady was playing in twenty twenty three, it was either for Miami or Sean Payton's next team. Miami recommitted to Tua last week. Payton took Denver with Russ yesterday. Not a coincidence T B retired today. It's abrupt because he ran out of options. Fox has the Super Bowl next week. Did they know? Well conspiracy. It's a fair point. <laughs> it is. I mean, if you're talking fair like point. viewership stuff, I've talked about viewership a lot on, on and Nielsen ratings a lot on the show. I mean, it makes a lot of sense for them to try to get Tom on their show, and Gronkowski is, is part of the Fox broadcast as well. I don't think he does it immediately. I doubt it too. Yeah. I think that's too quick of a turnaround for him. You know, you, you would think he'd at least take the obviously the the summer off, right? No, but obviously the Super Bowl is the the ratings king for everything television. And, I mean, I'm sure Fox is going to reach out to Brady in this next, you know, week and be like, hey, you know, do you want to go on for a segment at all? Do you want a pre-taped segment for the pregame show or something like that? I don't know. I, I doubt he would do it, too. It's it's too quick. Um, but, yeah, Fox is definitely going to love having Tom around. I, I think Tom's got a knack potentially for being an analyst. But we'll see. See, there's a long way. Yeah, to go. but it would, it would knock it would knock Greg Olson out of that out of that number one booth because there's no way you pay whatever thirty odd million it is for Brady out of that top announcing booth, right? Yeah, I know it's just a lot of money. Um, I mean, Olson's been doing a great job with Burkhart. That's what Romo used to be, and now we now we see what Tony Romo's trying to do with CBS, which is just a bunch of repetitive jargon and you know. Um, as as we've been hearing about in our class, Peter, the number one thing for all these analysts is do not say you don't know. Like, you can't bring the play-by-play guy in. Like, you're getting paid to talk about what you saw on the play and can't can't do that. Come no, on, Tom. No, no, you're exactly right. And this was something I, I thought the results were actually kind of interesting. Uh, this was a poll on Twitter from Awful Announcing, who is sort of a great hub in terms of sports media and commentary relating it. Uh, but they had a poll uh, uh, after Sunday's games, the conference championships, your preferred announcing booth of, of the games. So it's either Romo and Nance or, mm. or Kevin Burkhart and Greg Olson. Who do you think won the poll? I would think it would be Burkhart and Olson, right? Okay, what do you think the, the percentage was? It was probably much closer because, I mean, Jim Nance is an excellent voice. I, I'd say it's probably about... 60-40, Burkhardt Olsen? It was 60-40, Burkhardt. It's 59.9. <laughs> wow, wow. No, I mean, I think a lot of people forget that, like, you know, sometimes as annoying as Tony Romo can get right now, I mean, Jim Nance is definitely, like, the standard, I think, for 
sports broadcasters out there. I mean, like, he's been around for, like, 30 years. Yeah. He's got to—there's going to be—I mean, I think Ian Eagle is going to fill his shoes, yes. at least for March Madness. But right. him not being in that in that booth, there will be a, a void event. Um, so, I, right, he's leaving— March badness after this this current season, right? Uh, he just wants to focus, I think, on the NFL and the PGA Tour and spend more time with his family. Yeah. Right. Good for him. I mean, yeah, Nance deserves it. One of the hardest working guys in I'm, the business. I'm pretty sure, if my memory doesn't fail me, that Nance also did call the 1999 national championship when UConn won. I think he's I'm not 100 percent. Probably sure, called but. a lot of them. Yeah, yeah, he definitely did. Uh, anyways, let, I don't I don't have a ton of notes on these games. Just any any initial thoughts you might have or I might have about the conference champions championships last weekend 49ers Eagles any thoughts uh, initial thoughts coming after it after having a couple days to, to think about it what what are, what are some of your takeaways either side well I mean really first of all just for the NFC to start off I mean it's just an unfortunate situation for the 49ers I mean Brock Purdy takes a hit from Hassan Reddick right to the elbow. It turns out now that it's a torn UCL. He's out for the next six months. Um, and and it really begs the argument, Peter, about, you know, I think I heard this on Monday on some uh, sports talk radio shows about potentially having, um, you know, another backup uh, in place for situations like this because obviously we've seen it with in hockey, especially, you know, the emergency goalies, um, just like, you know, you're going to need an emergency quarterback if a situation like this arises in the NFL. And, I, I mean, it definitely diminished the product out there on the field because, I'm sorry, but Josh Johnson, I understand, like, this is this is a great opportunity for him, but we cannot have a fourth-string quarterback out on the field in the NFC Championship game. It's just, it's just not a good watch. And, I mean, you know, a lot of people um, are – you know, criticizing the Eagles for their run through these playoffs so far because it's like, well, they, you know, they beat up on the Giants who don't have the same talent level, which is absolutely true. Mm-hmm. And they faced a fourth string quarterback for three and a half quarters, basically. Um, and now, granted, they're in the Super Bowl at the end of it, um, but it's, it's just really unfortunate that it couldn't have been a better game. Um, I mean, the 49ers definitely would have been in that game. I personally think so with Purdy out there. Yeah. And, I mean, let's not forget, Shanahan is nominee for Coach of the Year. And if Brian Dable doesn't get it, I mean, Shanahan should definitely get it. That would be my vote uh, to cast for Shanahan if if it's not Dable. Um, because, personally, I'm on Dable just because of all the accomplishments with the Giants. It's not all biased, I assure you. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I think you're right. I, I've talked about sort of – I went through every single – or MLB, NBA, NFL, every award, sort of the tendencies and, and what, no matter what people say the award is, what, what the results tend to show, what the award is about and who would be most deserving of it. It seems to be just the over, over expectation award. There's a reason people talk about this for like LeBron or Jordan. They should have won MVP pretty much every year they were in the league. But people get bored. There's a human element that you don't want to vote for the same people every year. You want the new shiny thing. And in terms of coaching, based off rosters, you could argue certainly Kyle Shanahan. You could argue Mike Mike McDaniel could be a coach of the year candidate. Bill Belichick always could be a coach of the year candidate. Uh, I think Mike Tomlin, very deserving. 
But it's just not what the award is. It's the Over Expectation Award, basically the Increased Wins Award. And, and there's, I mean, I'm not going to say there's nothing wrong with it. it it's fine. It, it's what the award is. But I think Dable's very deserving, certainly based off what the Giants personnel didn't change that much from last year to this year and they increased dramatically i think they had a lot more of an identity and a character and there was a lot more for fans to get behind and it seemed to work out i mean they got they got deeper in the playoffs than anyone could have ever expected i'm uh, just what you were saying about this whole third active quarterback rule the whole purdy thing uh this is according to mike florio of, of nbc sports it was in the 2011 season that the nfl changed their their the rule here before it was they gave an emergency 46th active player sort of like a, the double header rule in baseball where you can just add the 26th guy what they did in 2011 is instead of just adding the 46th emergency guy they expand they just ex- straight up expanded that game day roster from 45 to 46 which Based off the prices of like a backup quarterback, it would it would inflate that. I, I believe I, I can't find a definitive article about this, but essentially, yeah, it is cap savings. Oh, sure, not significantly, but it is at the end, at the end of the day, everything's business here. So it, it is somewhat of a cap savings to not carry that third quarterback and to rather have another another corner, another safety, another linebacker, offensive lineman, whatever it may be. Right, and um, one more takeaway, too. I, I know this is going to come up with the other game, too, but, um, I mean, I don't know really who dropped the ball on this. <laughs> Literally, it's a, how ironic, dropped the ball. But there has to be a way for either the league or the 49ers video department to get an angle of Devontae Smith dropping that ball quicker. I mean, I, I'm sorry. I I think that it was really, you know, annoying to have to wait an entire commercial break and then fox is like oh hey we finally have the angle um because i i don't know i i guess when Devonte smith goes to the ground and you see everybody run up to the line that should already shouldn't that be a red flag i mean i i understand they only had 15 to 20 seconds and i mean in the grand scheme of the game didn't really matter but i I just don't know how we're in 2023 now and we're still allowing these things to happen, and especially when it's a championship game. I, I, have, I have, like, three takeaways on that. First of all, I have empathy for whoever was in the replay booth, whoever's in the control room, because yep. I've been in the booth, and it's hard to find a, a specific angle of something, and I've had to deal with maybe four cameras maximum, let alone, how many, like 20-plus camera angles at least, right? For, for a championship, I bet Fox had, like, 40. Yeah. They probably had all different angles, yeah. So, I mean, I, I can't even think. I mean, granted, 15, 20 seconds, there's professionals. There's definitely more than one B-play operator. But right. it, it, it's just a lot. Second, when, when a guy gets up like Devontae Smith with the amount of urgency, he immediately went to the hand signal, the, the hurry-up hand signal. Yep. The other team's got to be aware. I think Bill Belichick is one of the best at reading body language and being able to... It was very documented at the end of Super Bowl 49 against the Seahawks that Belichick was looking at the other sideline. He saw Pete Carroll looked... I mean, Pete Carroll always sort of has, like, unsettled energy, but he he looked particularly... Something was off, and so 
Belichick decided not to call the timeout. They end up going to the pass pay, play interception, Malcolm Butler, Super Bowl win. Mm-hmm. I think Kyle Shanahan, if he, if he, he's been around enough football, obviously he's grown up on it. Football is his life. He's got to see the body language of Devontae Smith and the rest of that Eagles team sort of panicking up to the line. And I mean, maybe he had someone in his ear. Maybe he asked really quickly. And he said, and he's like, Ugh, split second decision. I won't do it. I don't want to. I don't want to do the challenge at this point in the game. We're super early. I still have a quarterback at this point. Right. So I don't know. There, there's a lot going on. But for these playoff games, they do have that extra official, as well as you hear it referenced on the broadcast a lot. They have the expedited replay. Maybe I just don't know the rules of like the expedited replay and how it's used. But that does seem like a place where it would come in. Uh, exactly. Every week we're talking about what a catch is. We've done this every week for the last 12 years, pretty much. So yeah. how is that? How do they not step in there? Right. And just like we also don't really know what pass interference is sometimes, and especially this year, roughing the passer has just become soft. I I mean, I know it's it's one of these situations that you, you got to, um, you know, you got to be on your toes and you got to think in the moment. Um no, I totally get what you're saying, though, about, you know, being in the control room. I can't imagine how stressful it must be for anybody. Ooh, yeah. I mean, because you're literally hitting buttons trying to figure out what angle, you know, shows whether it's a definitive catch or not. Um, I mean, the expedited replay has been a massive help to the NFL. Uh, no question. But, yeah, I have to agree with you. It, it feels like a moment that was missed where the replay center probably should have and could have buzzed in and tried to stop the play. But... I mean, unfortunately, we're never we're never going to get that back. And like I said, I mean, the, it didn't matter in the the entirety of the game, anyways. Sure. And and also what you said before, I forget in Shanahan's position, you're right. You want to be 100 percent sure so you don't lose a timeout and uh, you don't lose your challenge for the rest of the game. Yeah, and, and hey, maybe if they even tried to step in and blow that play dead, might have been a situation like it was in Bengals Chiefs. They try to step in and no one hears it; it's too loud and. In Burrowhead, and then the, they can't even wave the playoff. Burrowhead my ass. Hey, we'll get into... <laughs> we're we're going to talk about Bengals Chiefs here in a second, but we're just going to go to break real quick, and then we'll be back with that. Bengals Chiefs in Burrowhead Stadium. Uh, media thing that comes to mind, and we'll actually get to him later. I don't understand. I, I know they're playing zone, right? Because they don't, they don't want to give up they're playing just like a too high look. That that is sort of the the look in the two opposing quarterbacks. That this is what the Bengals were doing a lot on on Patrick Mahomes, and so they're playing the zone, and so they're they're a little weak in the middle. The linebacker is looking at Burrow's eyes, where it's or, or sorry, rather Mahomes' eyes, and so Travis Kelsey being maybe one maybe the best tight end ever, and as smart and savvy he is, he's he's going to see the the two linebackers and he's going to find the, the spot in between he's going to go five yards turn around sit catch the ball and then get the extra five yards to the first down you know how you'll do a quarterback spy right to, to basically have a guy attached to him why don't, why, why don't you do that with travis kelsey basically like a box in one where, where you you Maybe you have everyone in zone, but you have your best coverage guy just glued on a Travis Kelsey. Because they, they were going down like flies. Tony went down. Um, Juju went down. It was it was Marquez Valdez-Scantling, Isaiah Pacheco, and Travis Kelsey against the world. I mean, Sky Moore, we're number 24 out there. I thought I, every time they threw to him, I thought he was like a pick six. I thought he was on the other team with that quarterback number. 
And Marcus Kemp also got a catch Marcus in that fourth Kemp. quarter. You're right. You're Marcus right. Kemp. That like that I think that's a lot of things that go under the radar. I mean, the officiating took center stage in this game, and and obviously we understand why and the magnitude of the plays, but what what goes under the radar in this whole game and it's it's gonna be forgotten about by a lot of people that yeah, Patrick Mahomes was working with those guys really in the second half for the for the most part. Um, and actually, I think Pacheco had to leave during the fourth quarter with an injury, didn't he? I'm, I'm pretty sure he did at one point too. So I, I do remember after that big run, he he the the, right. the screen he the the play led him to the side to the Chiefs sideline, and he and he just sort of stayed there. He looked just he looked tired. He looked yeah. It's it's a longer season for someone coming right out of college like Pacheco was, and the. He was sort of eased into this role along the season. It was it was the Clyde Edwards Alaire show kind of transition to the combination of Pacheco and McKinnon. But he's had a lot of work lately, and and he doesn't shy away from contact. Um, he I does think, not. I think this these two weeks will be good for him. But uh, yeah, they, they were very undermanned. It reminded me of uh, some of Tom Brady's sort of weird. Uh, a weapon arsenal in in the mid 2010s when he had Kembrell Tompkins and uh well Malcolm Mitchell was good um uh, too bad for his knee I thought he he would have been a good good player um or Aaron Dobson yeah I was just thinking of Dobson yeah, yeah Dob- Dobson's the one Nikhil Harry <laughs> yeah um, good old Nikhil Harry Devin Asiasi yeah uh it, it keeps going uh but it reminded me of that and for that reason I thought that there was some inevitability about the about the Bengals that they'd be too much to overcome at a certain point, but hey, at at the same time, it's almost like you know you can never rule Mahomes out. Uh, and as much as the we everyone was talking about sort of the legacy and and this this mythicality that that Joe Burrow has, and is he actually better than Mahomes? Is he sort of like the same level as Mahomes? Right. Patrick Mahomes is going to win his second league MVP next season. He will make, or or rather next week, he will have been in the conference championship every year of his five years as being a starting quarterback in the league. Mm -hmm. He signed a $500 million contract. I I, I know it sounds like dumb to say, right? But like, let's not take Patrick Mahomes for granted. (laughs) No, I mean, Patrick Mahomes is already climbing up you know career rankings as we speak i mean i i think you know with his stats from this year i believe he had just over i think 5200 passing yards he had 15 touchdowns this year i might have been more than that um i gotta look up his stats quickly but uh no patrick mahomes is definitely not to be taken lightly at this point oh i'm 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 completely sorry i i met i was thinking about his interceptions not touchdowns 41 touchdowns 12 interceptions i was gonna say that 15 what am i saying um oh, and and it's almost like a a pedestrian season for him as well right I, right and i mean um yeah five conference championships with the chiefs now i believe um this is their third super bowl appearance in the last five years i mean if mahomes is able to get this one against a really tough and scrappy eagles defense i mean all of a sudden, I think Patrick Mahomes is starting to enter, you know, the category of potentially being a stud quarterback in this league. Maybe perhaps all time, dare we say it. Yeah. I, I mean, it's, 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 he's got a lot more to do, don't get me wrong. But, um, I mean, 
this is his what second season now over five thousand passing yards um we're, we're, we're gonna see some of those are those those yardage and, and touchdown totals are going to be inflated right, because of this 17, of 17 game thing but it, yes. it is still worth noting obviously yes of course and um you know obviously in in the last three seasons uh he's thrown now 116 touchdowns um his passer rating career is uh an average of 105.7 believe it or not that's silly i mean the guy just keeps working up the ladder in some really key statistics and it's just a miracle sometimes to watch him on the run uh especially and I think, I mean, the game that I'll still always remember, you know, outside of when they beat the 49ers in the Super Bowl was the 54-51 game against L.A. Yeah. The Rams. That was like Monday one of night? the craziest. Monday night? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. And and the crazy thing is, too, that, um, you know, sometimes I think it goes a little bit under the table in some games because it's like, well, the, the Chiefs defense are kind of middle of the road sometimes. Now, Chris Jones, on the other hand, has Not had the a fantastic season. Um, and the Chiefs defense definitely played, I think, one of their best games against the Bengals. Spags definitely saved some schemes that I don't think the Bengals saw the first time. That's why you saw Burrow get sacked four times on the first nine plays. Yeah, I, I think this Chiefs defense, I think it's maybe less less star-laden and maybe less talented overall than some of the units in the past but i think they're they're better schematically right. they're, they're younger and i think they at least with their with their corners and some of their linebackers highlighted by someone who's short but he's, he's a great linebacker nick bolton um i think they are, are, are a more modern defense they're more suited uh one, one thing on chris jones uh, i believe is he a defensive player of the year uh finalist if, um, if he's not he should be I, I think I hope he, so. I think he gets sort of he goes under the radar because he's not one of these. He is. He is. He has a finalist. Yeah. He's not one of these like sexy pass rushers like Von Miller or Aaron Donald or uh, Miles Garrett or or uh, Nick or Joey Bosa. He's not you know that sort of edge. The, the interior pass rushers sort of get swept under the rug. And being on the defense opposite of, of Patrick Mahomes and, and Travis Kelsey and for so many years Tyree Kill. Yeah, you know, the spotlight's not going to be on you. Um, so shout out to, to Chris Jones. I thought he should get some love. Uh, well, well, one last thing I have about the Chiefs before we get to a mm-hmm. short Super Bowl preview and some NBA stuff. Um, one thing I've always likened Patrick Mahomes to, everyone talks about how the mobility is such a big thing because him getting out of the pockets, out of, out of the pocket, he can create plays. He can see angles. We all know what he can do with adjusting the arm angle and just finding the, these absolutely game-breaking sort of paths to, to receptions. I've always likened him to being the Steph Curry of football. And so we talk about Steph Curry's gravity and, and what the threat of his shooting opens up for other things. And I, and I think Steph is tremendously underrated as a finisher, uh, as a passer. There were times in, in the last NBA Finals I was more scared as a Celtics fan of, of Steph's passing than his shooting, which sounds crazy. But I think the same thing goes for Mahomes. When he gets out of the pocket, you're scared of, of what he could do with his, surprisingly with his legs, as we saw in that sort of clinching play on Sunday. But also what he can do with, with he can just uncork one deep out of nowhere. He, he, we all know what he can do to find the open guy over the middle. Uh, and, and his pocket awareness and pocket presence is game-breaking gravity that I think Mahomes has that is very Curry-esque. 
Yeah, I, I'd have to agree with that. Um, you know, because Mahomes definitely, I, I think the thing that dazzles, you know, the most out of him is his ability to just throw sidearm passes and find receivers 10, 15 yards down the field. Mm-hmm. I mean, when he's in trouble, he finds ways to get out of it. I mean, we've seen it time and time again. Um, I will say, obviously, you know, his ankle was hampered against the Jaguars, but looking at him for the most part throughout the Bengal game, I mean, the ankle looked pretty good. I mean, in the second half, he definitely was getting a little gimpy um, at some points. You could see it on the broadcast. Yeah. And, and he took that late hit out of bounds that mm-hmm. ultimately, you know, cost the Bengals the game. Um, and, I mean, he he's going to have to be close, like really close to 100%, I think, in order to, um, you know, stay strong against the Eagles' defense. But, yeah, Mahomes, um, I, I can definitely see that comparison to Curry. I, I, I like that analogy because, you know, Curry's one of those guys that, can pull tricks out of the bag and so can Mahomes. Yep. And he continually does it with a with a rotating cast around. Exactly. Him. One thing is true and that is the coach, Andy Reid or Steve Kerr, and then the running mate, that Draymond Green or it's Travis Kelsey. And exactly. just the chemistry and an unreal sort of awareness that Kelsey and, and Mahomes have to find the open pockets of the defense and they they know they're they're gonna they're gonna get the ball to him, but what can you do? And sort of the 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 pick and roll chemistry that that Curry and Draymond have, I think there's a lot of parallels there. It's just something that I found very interesting. The only the only thing I saw about Pat Mahomes' ankle that you could notice is was that sort of quick three three five step drops off some curls on the outside, and you're trying to drive that ball quick. It's a timing based route. You got to deliver the ball with accuracy and. And um, a, lot, a lot of oomph to it. And there were a couple times where he, he just threw a yard or two short. And, and as soon as Mahomes let go, he, he knew. He, he just knew that the ball wasn't getting there. I, I would attribute that to the ankle. I Yeah, I think it would have to be um, an ankle thing, too. Um, I, I mean, you know, I, I think the only real problem that he really might have with it is just, I think the plant foot, you know, since it was his, his right ankle, that's going to give him a little bit of trouble. Um, but, I mean, really, when he's been on the run, he's actually been looking, you know, pretty close to 100% there. Um, and obviously the mobility is a huge piece of his game as well. Um, so, um, but it, it'll be interesting to to see how he can, you know, push through it. And obviously he's got that extra week now. So that's going to um, help to yeah. rehab it a little more. Well, we'll do a brief Super Bowl preview right now. Um, I just want to say that this show, it's about stats, how they can inform and enhance sports in general. Uh, so I don't really have a stat I would not consider if it can propel an argument. I know, I mean, I'm not going to do 60 minutes of just straight, like talking about PER or something, right? Uh, <laughs> all that being said, uh, we're going to talk about jersey colors uh, for a second here. Ooh, okay. Yesterday, the, the Eagles revealed they'll be wearing their midnight green jerseys in Super Bowl 57. The, the Chiefs are going to wear white. Uh, so as to how that uh, could affect the game, if, if this matters to you, uh, here's, some, here's some stats for you. Eagles have worn green in all three of its Super Bowl appearances, wearing the same exact shade, midnight green, because they, they had that brighter shade of green in the past, the, the Kelly green, I believe it is. Yeah. They wore that same midnight green when they beat the Patriots in Super Bowl 52. A lot of players are still uh, from that roster under this, you know, Jason Kelsey, 
uh, Fletcher Cox, Brandon Graham. The Chiefs, they have worn red in all three of their Super Bowl appearances, so this will be its first time wearing white. So uh, let that be as it may. Whenever I saw the Patriots having their jersey colors revealed, I'd, I'd always, you know, I'd, I'd wince if, if I saw, you know, blue or white or whatever it may be. Yeah. Because out of the 56 Super Bowls we've had, teams wearing white are 36 and 20. They've won 64.3% of the time. Very interesting. I believe in 2007, the York Giants were wearing white when yes, they, they beat were. the uh, then uh, 18 and 18 and yeah 18, yeah because they would have won the divisional and the 18 yes. and 0 uh, New England Patriots. Yep, and um, <clears throat> excuse me, I, I believe yeah the Giants were also wearing white when they beat the Patriots in 2011. 2011. Yep. <sighs> yep. So heard it here first, folks. Uh, <laughs> maybe the Chiefs. Uh, here are some stats I pulled from NFL.com. Just comparing the Chiefs to the Eagles. Offensively, uh, I know there's a, a lot has been made about the Eagles' rushing attack. Uh, the Chiefs have the advantage in terms of completion percentage, yards per attempt, passer rating, 20-plus-yard 20 20 yard passes. They, they are tied in terms of 40-plus-yard passes. Sacks allowed and uh, yards per carry. Actually, very interesting. Whereas the mm-hmm. Eagles have more uh, rushing attempts, rushing touchdowns, and um, they actually have less rushing fumbles than the Chiefs, even though they are uh, have a, have their even though the Eagles are third in rushing attempts and the Chiefs are twenty second. So very interesting. But uh, as easy it is to just say, oh, they have, they're better at this or better at that. The Chiefs are second in yards per attempt. The Eagles are third. So it's not a huge difference. These these teams both like to capitalize on the big play. I mean, they both have the personnel to do so. The Eagles with A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith, even Dallas Goddard, I think, sort of. I don't think he gets enough love when we're talking about great tight ends in the league. He, he was a little right. banged up this year. but And then the Chiefs, uh, you know, it doesn't matter who they have. Obviously, we know Kelsey, but uh, Juju's been, he's been great for them. Marquez Valdez-Scanling. Uh, Cardairs, Tony's been a big play guy since coming over from your Giants. Yes, uh, he has. Good to see that he at least can be somewhat healthy over there. <laughs> and then uh, defensively, the Eagles are better in opponent completion percentage, opponent yards per attempt, interceptions, sacks. The Chiefs are better in yards per carry allowed, and the Eagles uh, forced more fumbles. Uh, big thing is that Eagles are first in sacks, a, a historic number of sacks. Chiefs are second. So great, two great teams in terms of the pass rush. Yards per carry allowed. Chiefs are better at defending the run than the Eagles. And in opponent completion percentage, the Eagles are better at stopping the pass than the Chiefs. So all that being said, basically, just looking at all those stats and nothing else, you, you could come to the conclusion that defensively, they're somewhat a toss-up. And that offensively, the Chiefs are a better passing team. Eagles are a better rushing team. They're both big play, though, and they're both very efficient. Does anything from that inform you as to how you think this game could go? What could be the big personnel matchup here? Anything like that? Well, I mean, obviously, when you look at the defensive statistics, it, it definitely stands out that the Eagles are the better team on that side of the ball. Um but as I was saying and alluding to about the Bengals game, like I said, I mean, Spags 
definitely did a good job, I think, running the defense that game. I mean, they only held the Bengals to, you know, um, six points in the first half. They forced two interceptions off Joe Burrow. Um, But then again, when you look at the Eagles' defensive unit, um, this is a team that had 70 sacks in the regular season, which is third most all-time in a regular season. Um, they are able to get to the quarterback. They, they really, they've been able to find their way through a lot of games this season by getting through the defense. Um, and you know they've been really beating up on some teams this season. Of course, uh, the 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 one caveat, of course, that the Eagles' defense has had is that they are not that good against the run, and the statistics show they show that. Um, both defenses are pretty middle of the road, if not lower third against the run like the the statistics show um but on paper especially with the offensive side this is really a very even matchup um you have two quarterbacks who have had both great seasons they're both mvp finalists and we're in for i think some high flying offense potentially in this game if the conditions are right and and granted, we've seen it before in the Super Bowl. You know, it's it's definitely going to be a slower start to the game, probably because both teams are going to want to feel each other out. Um, and obviously, we also have the first brother duo to face off against each other Correct. in a yeah. Super Bowl. The Kelsey brothers, Andy Reid, coaching against his former team again. Yep, yep. The Philadelphia Eagles. There. Mm-hmm. We, you know, realistically, the NFL kind of wanted this matchup because there are some juicy storylines going in. And on paper, we should be in for a great Super Bowl based off of all these statistics that you've been mentioning. I think the only thing that would make this uh, sweeter is if I think if Buffalo was in this just because of the way the country and, and certainly the league has rallied around DeMar Hamlin. Um, I think generally the Bills are a likable team. I think they became more favorable in the public eye after that that real tragedy of, of a whole situation. Um, but certainly, I think, as someone who has been on the other side of it, I still think uh, I love watching Patrick Mahomes play. Uh, same reason I, I love watching Steph Curry play. Just It's, it's greatness and, and seeing it every day and, and watching it unfold, uh, I think, it is special. Mm-hmm. Uh, one thing I think is very interesting, so we're talking about how the Chiefs are better yards per carry, that may be because they are a lower volume. You know, the Eagles just love to ram it down their throat. So, I mean, naturally, you might gear up more towards the run. Clyde Edwards-Alaire was a starter for the Chiefs coming into the season. He sort of lost that role. He he, he was, like, okay. He, he, was, he had a decent amount of rushing touchdowns for any fantasy owners who grabbed him in those middle rounds. Andy Reid said that there would be a chance that Edwards-Alaire would be back for the AFC title game. Kansas City decided, or they opted to keep him on IR. I think there's a chance they could kind of break the glass in case of emergency, bring Edwards-Alaire, use him in certain situations, and really have that three-headed monster running back between McKinnon, Edwards-Alaire, and Pacheco. Um, Because we've seen with the Chiefs having a little bit of time to game plan and to be creative that they are unafraid to try a lot of things. You remember that play against the Raiders where they they did ring around to Rosie. And uh, and I think it was in the Super Bowl, I want to say it was against the Buccaneers where they, they lined up in that sort of like H, H-wing, I-wing, or whatever it's called, that, that very unconventional form 
that they ran towards the goal line and it was effective. They're unafraid to try things. If anything, I think Andy Reid would prefer to have more weapons than not. Not surprise me if Edward Solaire was active for the game. And, I mean, granted from what we know, injury-wise and health-wise, and if he played some sort of role. Right, certainly. And um, that's a good point that you bring up, too, because obviously in, in this matchup, the, the Eagles do have the better weapons. I mean, um, you know, but then again, Mahomes has found his way back here without Tyreek Hill. And um, I I personally thought that that was going to really hinder the Chiefs um, losing a weapon like Tyreek Hill. I mean, granted, you still have Travis Kelsey. Mm-hmm. But Tyreek Hill just felt like another explosive playmaker that, you know, had to be a part of this offense in order for the Chiefs to get back here. But Mahomes proved me wrong because he does some wizardry things and <laughs> look where the Chiefs find themselves right now. Super Bowl prediction. Right now, I'm leaning Eagles, uh, especially for the defense. I, I just think that if Mahomes truly isn't 100%, I, I can't see the Chiefs winning this game. I, I really can't. Um, I, I don't know. Uh, I'm going to lean the Eagles for now. I, my opinion could change by next week. It just depends on what the media feeds us uh, coming up. <laughs> over, under, I think it's around like, you know, 48, 50 points. Over, under. Under. It's under. Um, I, I really think so because the Eagles defense, if they can get to Mahomes and somehow get through that line, then that's going to keep the score down a little bit. Um, and like I said, I, not to say that this is the exact same unit, but look what happened to Mahomes against the Bucks defense in Super Bowl 55. Mm. But the Chiefs line has improved since then. Mm. It's funny. I, this isn't like, you know, I don't like to have a take, just have a take, right? But I am Chiefs. And over, okay, because I can't I can't go against Mahomes. Just like I I I just like I can't count that guy out. And then I I, I could see a situation where where both teams are just driving to want to keep the score up, and because they're just so afraid of the other team, or or they don't have confidence in maybe the Chiefs don't have confidence in their defense. That just this just turns into a bloodbath. Just great offensive scheming. Um, and, and it just you turn into a you know, 30 30 sort of sort of game right and then just one more quick thing you know I've mm-hmm. seen a lot of people um, out there on social media not necessarily experts but you know there's some people who are saying oh yeah Eagles by a mile I'm sure it's probably some toxic Eagles fans out there you know <laughs> I mean but people who think that this game's going to be a blow you're, you're sorely mistaken I mean I know the Eagles have beat up on some opponents this year that's what their one of their calling cards has been all year. Um, because of that defense, but it's it's going to be a game that's going to come right down to the wire uh, either way. I mean, I, I'll, I'll save the score prediction for next week because I don't want to spoil uh, anything too soon. But um, since I said I'm leaning under, I think that that'll give it away that, you know, I, I really think that it's going to be closer, lower scoring, and um, both defenses are going to come to play, I think. I think the Chiefs defense, like I said, the, the Bengals game was a sign. You know, Spags is getting that unit ready. For these big games um, so we'll see what happens but it should be interesting coming up brief we're gonna do a brief nba talk right here after after a quick break and then we'll get to our stats start of the week before signing off for the day so all this coming right up after the break nba talk great game last night second uh game of the tnt nba and tnt window i'm sure you caught the first half between the lakers and the knicks after mentioned lebron james Second half, I thought, was, was even a better matchup and I think a great showcase of some of the powers of the Western Conference. 
between the Pelicans and the Nuggets. And I thought there were a lot of takeaways from at least what I saw just initially. Denver, they are now up to 23-4 and four at home. Just incredible. And... Again, great display of what will make them great. They're starting five, the Jamal Murray, Davis Caldwell-Pope, Michael Porter Jr., Aaron Gordon, Nicole Jokic, one of the best units in the NBA. They have one of the best transition teams in the league. They have some pieces that... I've talked about this a lot, um, that this is probably Nicole Jokic's best surrounding cast. Bringing Caldwell-Pope was a great move for them. Bruce Brown has been just a seamless fit with that unit. And, and you've seen some great some great things out of some other players on that roster. Christian Brown, Zeke Naji, uh, even Bones Highland, who Chris Haynes reported may be on, on the trade block just because his, his, he's a real streaky scorer and he doesn't bring a lot on the defensive end. And then New Orleans, uh, very different as a team. They, they have some absolute, absolutely lethal scores, playmakers off the dribble in CJ McCollum, Brandon Ingram, very deep, and they have the ability to play in sort of different styles where they have... The Brews are down low with Jonas Valanciunas. They have that defensive wing with Herbert Jones. They can throw on anyone. Got some rim-running energy sort of tweener bigs with Larry Nance Jr. and Jackson Hayes. And all this was out was without their ultimate X-factor, Zion Williamson. Ultimately, the Nuggets ended up winning. In the second half, they were really running. I think New Orleans sort of ran out of gas being in the elevation second half uh, in Denver. Ben, real quick here. What team do you think is more likely to come out of the conference, or would you pick the field? Because I think the West is as wide open as it's been. There's a lot of parity. I mean, you see Dallas and Sacramento being some of the other top teams in Memphis, not even to mention teams like Phoenix or Golden State or the Lakers, Clippers. Yeah, a lot of people, I think, are definitely, um, you know, sleeping on the on the Warriors and the Suns right now. You know, the the, the, the whole instance with the NBA is that, you know, it's always a long regular season every year. Um, and obviously you're going to go through your ups and downs. The Suns definitely for sure have been banged up. Um, and much like the Warriors, both teams have horrible road records this season. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and all you have to do is just just get into the field and see where it takes you. And I think that's definitely, I think, where the Warriors stand right now. This is a team that's coming off an NBA championship um, last season against your Boston Celtics. <laughs> <laughs> but... Um, for, for right now, I would have to say that I'm going to take the field. Um, wow. I, just, is that purely odds-based, or is it because you don't have confidence in Denver or New Orleans? I I just – I personally am buying into Memphis. That's the team that I'm buying into the most uh, because of, you know, John Morant and his supporting cast that he's got with Desmond Bain and Jaron Jackson. Um, you know, I, I firmly believe that the Grizzlies could be the one at the end of this. Now – I'm not going to disrespect Jokic's greatness. I mean, if the MVP were to be given out today, I'd give it to Nikola Jokic uh, for, his, for his third consecutive year. Um, but this conference is so wide open. I, at least right now, I, I couldn't narrow it down to two teams for you, um, really. I, I think the Grizzlies, though, have the best shot out of everyone, so that's why I'll side with the field. Well, according to the fan duel, not sponsored, but if you'd like to sponsor FanDuel, uh, 
We have open open ad spots. We can make room for you. Uh, Denver and is at plus 350 to win the Western Conference, followed okay. shortly by the Warriors at plus 360, then the Grizzlies, plus 420. And the only other odds under 1,000 are Clippers at 550, Suns at 800, and the Pelicans at 850. I would have to go Nuggets or Grizzlies, just so you know. Mm. Um, so last thing here, we're a little over, but it's all good. We got no one, no one waiting in the wings here. <laughs> Our stats star of the week are... This will be our third ever. Uh, this was a segment introduced later into last season. Our first ever winner, I believe, was Shea Gilgis Alexander, followed by Justin Fields. And uh, this guy, we talked about him before. He's more of the stats star of the week and a half. Uh, but we have to shout out the guy who called an elected official, a jabroni, on national television. And that's Travis Kelsey. All, all, all claps for, for Travis Kelsey. Congrats. Your trophy's in the mail. Uh, <laughs> So his stat line the past two weeks, AFC Divisional against Jaguars, 14 receptions on 17 targets, 98 yards, two touchdowns. Those 14 receptions are the most by a non-running back in playoff history. And the 17 targets are tied for the most for a tight end in playoff history. And then this past Sunday against Bengals, seven receptions on eight targets, 78 yards, one touchdown. Uh, all this not to mention... His back flared up on Friday in practice reports. He would be a true game-time decision. I never saw anything that would lead me to believe he was not 100%. So shout out Travis Kelsey for, I mean, he, he is a real stat breaker. He is He's an absolutely incredible player every year in, year out. There's a reason you, you always see him high up in the fantasy rankings, and you're like, oh, I can't draft tight in that high. And, and then you see him, and, and then you try to trade for him because you're like, wow, what a luxury to have. And I think that's what he is. He's just such a weapon, ultimate luxury for Patrick Mahomes. Absolutely one of the best in the league out there, um, for sure, if not the best at the tight end position uh, especially. And, um, yeah, kill a Trav. Uh, he's always got a wild personality, that's for sure. Uh, his, his comments on TV never get old. Uh, and we saw that this past weekend with the whole – Burrow had my ass situation, of course, as he said. So, <laughs> hey, we'll see how that podcast goes with him and uh, him and Jason Kelsey's brother now. I know it's Some trash it's talk. Gonna be a little trash talk leading up to the big game, but <laughs> yeah, it'll be interesting. Good for Travis Kelsey, your stat star of the week. Stat star of the week. So, thank you everyone for listening to Throwback Saturday here on ninety eight point one WQAQ. We will not be back next week. We have some scheduling conflicts, so we will be back after the Super Bowl. So keep an eye out for that, and we will see you then.